Well, as you're flipping to John 14, we all love a good journey, do we not? Any Lord of the Rings fans? My people, God bless. Love the Lord of the Rings, right? Gandalf, Frodo, walking through Middle Earth, going to get the ring. There's, a, there's an aspect of adventure that we love about a good journey. Many of us could not have graduated from middle school without learning about my boys, Lewis and Clark. Right? Thomas Jefferson says, Lewis and Clark, let's go find a way to get to the Pacific Ocean. And they're canoeing. They hang out with Sacagawea. They nearly die in the Rockies. Americans love Route 66, right? There's a way to get all the way from Chicago through Joplin, Missouri, Nate Hardy, all the way down to Texas. We love Route 66. We love road trips. I remember as a kid, it was, it was fun to be able to, to embark on a journey, right? With mom and dad and brothers, we'd go pick out our favorite snacks at the gas station. We'd gas up the car. We're going to grandma's house. There's an aspect in which a journey, a trip, perhaps it's the Mayflower across the Atlantic. We love a good journey. But what about the journey of life? All of us are on this journey of life. Some of us are in different spots. Some of us have, have maybe... Maybe you've been in college for one year, some of us are about to graduate, we're thinking, what's the next step in this journey of life? And the very simple question I want to present as we introduce this text, there's a lot of pathways that we can walk in this life, right? The pathway of least resistance, a lot of you guys are trying to determine careers that maybe are going to make you a lot of money, there's a lot of pathways we can walk. My question to you this, tonight is, which pathway are you walking right now? We're all walking some pathway, and in this life, which pathway are you walking? In order to go on a journey, we have to have a destination. We have to have a way to get there. It's oftentimes helpful to have a guide who's going to lead us there, and it's also important to know how much of this journey we have left. And so tonight, we're going to look at four things, just those things. The final destination, the way there the faithful guide that we have in the remaining journey ahead. So the final destination, the way there, the faithful guide in the remaining journey ahead. And we're going to see that Jesus is the only pathway to true life. We're going to see that Jesus is the only pathway to gain access to God. So pick me up in John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would, have, or I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you. So the final destination, verses 1 through 3. Very simply, the final destination is heaven with Jesus. But let's get a little bit of context first. So the disciples are troubled in verse 1. Why are they troubled? Well, if you read right before we pick up here, it's, it's been a little bit troubling. Jesus has just told them that Peter, one of the disciples, is going to deny him three times. He told them Judas was going to betray him. Every single one of them will desert him, and he's going to leave them later that night. Now, if I had been walking with Jesus for three years, and this was the, the prescription that I've been given, I would probably be troubled. I've seen what Jesus has done. I've seen what he's did. And I'd be wondering the same things. This is an upper room discourse, which is, is merely hours before Jesus gets arrested and goes to be crucified. And so it's a, it's a very emotional time. This is where we get the communion, the breaking of bread, and the passing of the cup. You see, Jesus' solution here in verse 1, when he says, believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus' solution is not a five-step program to better health. It's not some program or recipe, but it's rather relationship with himself. And this place that Jesus is going to prepare, well, we know that it's heaven, but why is he going to prepare it? Why does Jesus need to go to heaven to prepare a place for us? Well, very simply, it's because he loves us, and he's preparing a place for us to dwell with him for eternity. If any of you guys' moms were like my mom, whenever we had friends over, we had what was called the Everly Family Clean Sweep. Anybody else have the clean sweep? Come on now. So guests are coming over, right? And then my older brother has to sweep the floor. Anybody got that little Swiffer wet jet thing? People know what I'm talking about? So I'm the Swiffer wet jet brother. My younger brother's doing the dusting. My dad's going to kind of get the, the couch set up. He's going to kind of make sure everything's put away in the spot it's supposed to. My mom's doing dishes. We're getting the house ready to go. So that when people come, it's like, hey, we've got a hospitable place for you to come to. We, we want to welcome you here. Our house is a place of rest. You need some good food. There's an aspect of preparing the house for the guests to say, hey, welcome home. Like this, this is a place that you're welcome. We want you to stay. Take off your shoes. And yes, this is a, a silly example. and It's temporal in the sense that it's just for a, a small period of time. But what about eternal life? Jesus is preparing the place for us to have our ultimate eternal homecoming. And so Jesus is going, and he's going to come back and take us with him. But notice what he says. He says, I go. Jesus is taking the initiative, and it's part of his plan. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't just some unforeseen tragedy that happened upon the Son of Man. As a matter of fact, it was part of the divine plan for him to be able to spend eternity with us. The joy set before Jesus at the cross was getting life with us. And he's going to heaven to prepare that place. Now, heaven isn't heaven because of pearly gates alone. It's not heaven because of streets of gold. 
It's not heaven because of the presence of angels. It's heaven because Jesus is there. He's present with us. And he's coming again to take us with him. Song Company, is it not wild that despite the sin that you've committed, Jesus still desires to be with you? Jesus still desires to be with you despite the sin that you've committed, and he's going to heaven to prepare a place for you if you have, one, repented of your sins, and two, placed your faith in Jesus. Is that not crazy? Despite the things that you've searched online, the conversations that you've had gossiping about somebody, the judgment that you feel in your heart, the lust that you have with your eyes, that Jesus paid it all on the cross, and he says, I want you with me. I'm going to prepare a place for you because I want to be with you for eternity. And I'm coming back to to, to grab you to bring me with you. See, Jesus is our returning Savior and our final destination on this journey of life for those who are in Christ is with Jesus in heaven. The question is, if you don't accept Jesus, where is your final destination? Well, the Bible tells us it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who do not put their faith in Jesus, their final destination on this journey of life is hell. Why? Because Jesus is the only way that we can have access to the Father. Number two, the way there. The way there. Verses four through six, this is how we begin to understand how we get to that reality. Verse four, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the only way to get access to God is through Jesus. And I love this. Thomas, humbly and perhaps full of confusion, asked this question. Like, Lord, how, how do we know the way? Like, where are you going? How do we get there? Have you ever been there before with God? I know I have. I don't entirely understand this reality. This doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm not entirely understanding this teaching, Jesus. These things I read in the Bible, I don't entirely understand. And a lot of us may assume that Jesus' reaction is kind of a smack of the hand, like, Thomas, don't you get it? You've been with me for three years. Shouldn't you understand? But I love this. Jesus responds tenderly in love and in gentleness, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's take these in turn. The way, the truth, and the life. The first one is the way. We saw two weeks ago that Jesus, or sorry, three weeks ago, that Jesus is the door of the sheep. So yes, he is the way of entry into the kingdom of heaven. Again, through repentance and faith in Jesus. So he's not just the door, but he's also the shepherd. Jesus guides us in this journey of life as the good shepherd. He's the way of entry, but he also guides us as we walk with him. I love the way Martin Luther puts this about Jesus being the way. He says, Christ is not only the way in which we must begin our journey, so he is the door, but he's also the way, or he's also the right and safe way we must walk to the end. We dare not be deflected from this. Here, Christ wants to say, when you have apprehended me in faith, you are on the right way, which is reliable, but only see that you remain and continue on it. 
Christ wants to tear and turn our hearts from all trust in anything else and pin them to himself alone. So again, Christ is not just the door. He's not just the shepherd, but he's also the way to life, the way to truth. And he is the way. He's not just a way. He is the way to God. Let me be clear. There's only one way to get access to God, and it's through Jesus. A lot of a lot of us try and follow Jesus in other ways. A lot of major world religions teach that there's other ways to get to God. We walk through a few of them for us this evening. Number one is Buddhism. So heaven or nirvana, in order to get there, you need to be rejoined in your spirit with God. Reaching heaven requires following an eightfold path, which includes understanding the universe acting, speaking, and living in the right manner with the right intentions. And if you master this eightfold path, you'll return, your worship, the worshiper's spirit will return to God. Let me be clear. Based on what the Bible teaches, if we believe the Bible is true, this is a false way of getting access to God. How about Hinduism? Similar to Buddhism, salvation is reached when a worshiper is freed from the cycle of reincarnation and his or her spirit becomes one with God. You get there by ridding yourself of bad karma through selfish devotion, serving to a particular God, understanding the nature of the universe, mastering these different actions to fully appease God, of which there's over one million. Again, a false way of getting to God. How about Islam? Salvation comes to those who obey Allah sufficiently, and that good deeds outweigh the bad. So just to cover your bases, you recite extra prayers, you fast, go on pilgrimages, perform good works, hoping to just kind of tip the scales that at the end of times, if you just have enough good works to outweigh the bad, you'll you'll be good. Let me be clear, that is a false way of getting access to God. How about Mormonism? They have a faulty view of Christ, a reliance on extra grace works. You can ascend to some semblance of general salvation, but there's other things you must do in order to ascend to a higher heaven. Let me be clear, that is a false way of getting access to God. One more, Roman Catholicism. You need to accept Christ, perform sufficient acts such as baptism and other sacraments and works to be purified of your sin and then go to heaven, hoping that you do not get sent to purgatory Will you undergo painful punishment until your soul is cleansed, and only once purification is complete can your soul go to heaven? A false way of getting access to God. And we could go on for the rest of the night. Scientology, Jehovah's Witness, atheism, among others. False ways of getting access to God. A lot of us have seen this bumper sticker, uh, coexist, tolerance, And some of you guys might be thinking, it's like, man, I have friends who identify with these different religions, maybe some that we haven't talked about. Like, Zach, what's the big deal, right? Like, can't we just coexist? Can't we just tolerate this? Like, is it, can't just people just do what they want? Like, it's okay, they can believe in in whatever God they want to. Like, it's okay, we can just get along, right? That's not what verse 6 says. At the end of verse 6, it says, No one, 
comes to the Father except through me, being Jesus. And so this coexists, there you go, this coexists or this tolerance, the folks that are, are believing a different God, a different lowercase g God, they're, if, they're, if they haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ and repented of their sins, they're not going to heaven. So no, we can't just coexist. This is an opportunity to share the gospel with people who, apart from Jesus, are not going to spend eternity with Him. So Zach, why, why can't we just coexist? Because Jesus is the way, not a way, He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life, and no one gets access to God except through Jesus. No one. Jesus is the only way that we can have access to God. But how do we do this? It's not going on campus just Bible-thumping people, right? Just throw a verse at them. Repent, otherwise you're going to hell. It's not going to speaker's circle, right? Come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. It's, <clears throat> it's not about going to speaker's circle with a megaphone, condemning people to hell. That's not the way that we go about it. Let me be clear. 1 Peter 3.15 is our guide. But in your hearts, honor Christ Jesus the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. This last part is key. Yet do it, what are the two words? Gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Guys, gentleness, kind of a, a genuine gratitude is a very underrated evangelism tool in our current culture. Just being gentle with somebody, respecting their worldview, not agreeing with it, but respecting their worldview, cultivating a relationship in such a way that you can be prepared to make a defense when somebody asks you why you follow Jesus. So again, we're not Bible thumping, right? We're not, we're not throwing verses at people. We're doing so, making a defense with gentleness and respect. 1 Peter 3.15. So that's the way. What about the truth? So again, Jesus isn't merely preaching or teaching the truth. He is the truth. He's God incarnate. But what is truth? Well, truth is what the Bible says. It's right here. It's what Jesus teaches. It's not just the red letters in the Gospels of Jesus. It's every single word of God. Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for rebuke, such that the man or woman of God may be equipped for every good work. God's Word is true. What Jesus teaches is true. But as Christians, how do we actually discern truth from error, falsehood to truth? John Mark Comer, who's a pastor out in Portland, Oregon, has a very simple but I think powerful exercise for applying this practically in our lives. As we're trying to, to wrestle through what is actually true. How do we discern what's actually true? Three very simple questions. The first question is, and this is a great way to do this, that I've done this before, is you're journaling this out. You could process this out loud with somebody, but um, a great way to do this is journaling this. So three questions, very simple. First question is, what's the thought, feeling, and or sensation that I'm feeling? Okay? So, you know, write the obsessive thought that keeps coming, the lie that you can't shake, the feeling of shame or worry. Perhaps it's even like a sensation, like you're feeling a tightness in your chest, Maybe there's just like this shallow breathing of like you're super anxious about something. 
So you're acknowledging what's the thought, the feeling, sensation. You're writing that down in a journal. The second question is, what's the lie beneath the thought, feeling, and or sensation that reveals your attachment? Okay, so you're trying to get beneath the thought, beneath the feeling. So you're trying to get to kind of that root cause. And I'll give an example in a second in case people are like, this is way too ethereal. Number three is just, what's the truth? So write out a scripture verse or a word from the Spirit that counters the lie. Something that you're going to turn and fix your gaze upon every single time this lie reappears. This truth that you need to be reminded of. And for a lot of you guys, a very simple way to do this is you're just, this is a verse, and then you're memorizing that bad boy. And every single time that this lie comes, this feeling comes, you're memorizing it, you're putting God's Word in your mouth, and you're making it known. Here's an example. So what's the thought, feeling, or sensation? So maybe I'm worried about losing my job and not being able to make my car payment. That's something that would be fearful, right? Nobody wants to lose their job. There's financial security involved with that. Not being able to make a car payment. What are you going to do? Okay, so you've acknowledged that. You've, write, you've wrote, written it out. But then question two. So what's the lie beneath the thought? You're trying to get below the surface. Well, my safety and security are in my job. And owning newer and nicer things will make me happy. Notice the distinction. I feel this way, but you're getting down to the surface. So the root cause is safety and security, right? Happiness. So you're getting, be- you're getting beneath the thought. You're getting beneath the feeling. And can we just be real? It's hard in this life. Like, we all f- experience emotions. We all have feelings, right? And we, we don't want to be led by those emotions and feelings, but we need to acknowledge them. Think about feelings as a, as a kind of a check engine light on the status of your soul. You don't want to be led by them, but you want to take notice of them and give it up to the Lord. This is a way to give it up to the Lord. And then simply number three, what is truth? Hebrews 13.5 tells us, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So working through those three questions, you're acknowledging what you're, you're feeling and experiencing, you bring it to the Lord. Perhaps with the Holy Spirit's help and some scripture guidance, you're, you're understanding what is the root cause beneath it, and then you're putting God's truth to it. You're helping yourself walk through this. You're helping yourself to discern truth. Because truth is hard to discern because everybody got their own truth. There's a lot of voices of formation in our lives, right? We've talked about this before here. Professors, friends, and family, a lot of voices online and in person that are forming how we spend money, forming how we think through things, forming how we talk about relationships. So this is helping us to get to the only voice that needs to be forming us, which is the voice of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and God's Word. And number three, the life, right? So the way, the truth, and the life. I won't hit on this a whole lot because we talked about it last week, but just to review, Jesus isn't merely preaching fun facts about life. Again, He is life Himself. He holds life. He gives it. He takes it. Oftentimes we think life is found in other places, academic success, all these different areas, but in reality, as we continue to try to pursue life in those things, it's actually going to lead to death, because Jesus alone is where true life is found. Because without the life of Christ, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. All right, number three, the faithful guide. So we've seen the destination, we understand the way, but now we have a guide who's going to get us there. Verses 7 through 11. Jesus, talking to Thomas, says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know Him, and you have seen Him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. 
Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus is the faithful guide. Why? Well, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And as he says in verse 7, to know Jesus is to know God. The father-son relationship is a very intricate, beautiful connection that we see in the book of John. To know Jesus, to experience life with Jesus, is to know God, to know the Father. Scripture tells us in two other spots that are worth highlighting that Jesus, in Colossians 1.15, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1.3 tells us He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by His power. Not a single thing in this world has been made without Jesus knowing, and not a single thing will be made without His knowing. We can believe in Him because of who He is, and the miracles that He's performed point to that power. They point to His divine nature. But here's the caution. In verse 8 and 9, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Verse 9, Jesus says, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip. Here's the caution that is, is kind of glaring in this text. Philip has been walking with Jesus for three years. It's a long time. He's been walking, he's been eating with Jesus, he's been listening, he's been walking with Jesus, but for some reason he still doesn't quite get it. A lot of us in this room have listened to X number of sermons, right? We've been in church for X number of years. We've, been to X, we've read X amount of scripture. We've attended the youth retreats. We've gone to the Salt Company fall retreat. I'm leading a C group now. I'm on leadership with Salt Company. I claim to follow Jesus, and yet I am still so weak in the knowledge of Christ. Still so unskilled in the Word of God. And the question is, are you actually letting Jesus be your guide? Have you heard his voice in the scripture, but you choose to ignore it? Have you heard his word preached, and yet you walk out the door unchanged? Is your prayer life stale because you don't feel like you actually need to talk to the God of the universe? How many of us have sat, been around Jesus, been around church community? We claim to know things about Jesus, but we don't actually know him. I've heard it said before that the distance between heaven and hell is the distance between your heart and your head. I just pointed the backwards, but it's okay. Between your heart and your head. It can't just be intellectual head knowledge that we know about Jesus. We need a personal relationship with Him. Because in the Bible, our heart is not just the thing that's pulsating, pushing blood through our veins. The heart in the Scriptures is the core of who you are. Your passions, your desires, the thing that wake you up in the morning the things that give you life and sustain you. Jesus wants your heart, not just your brain, not just your intellect. He wants all of you. Do you actually let Jesus be the guide? Do you actually listen to him? Has he transformed your priorities? Has he transformed your thoughts about the world? Do you love what he loves and do you hate what he hates? Have you been with me so long, Salt Company? 
and still you do not know me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And on the way of that pathway of life, you have to let him guide because he's the only faithful guide. Last one, number four, the remaining journey ahead. Verses 12 through 14, the remaining journey. Jesus talking to the disciples says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name... I will do it. What does Jesus mean when he says, greater works than these will he do? It's a little confusing at first glance, is it not? It's like Jesus walked on water. I haven't heard of anybody, at least personally, that's walked on water. Jesus rose some people from the dead. I've never met somebody who's risen somebody from the dead. Greater works than these. I've never met somebody who has turned water into wine. Any of these miracles, I've never met anybody. So what does he mean when he says, greater works than these will he do? I would wager that it's, it's not greater in the sense of more sensational. I'm not going to raise somebody from the dead tonight, but greater in the sense of more magnitude. Think of the book of Acts. Primarily speaking of conversions here. That the given Holy Spirit is guiding God's people, leading them. Peter converted 3,000 people in one sermon. More greater works than these. Going and making disciples of all nations. We're his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't come to the United States of America, but the gospel is in the USA. Greater works than these. Friends, Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit to continue the ministry that he started. We're to be ambassadors for Jesus on the rest of this journey of life. Because the destination is either heaven or hell. The way that we get there is through Jesus. So we're proclaiming that to people. Our guide is Jesus. And the pathway that's left is he's asked us to be laborers in the harvest. We continue on the journey. We remain in the journey by asking God to do greater things in faith-filled prayer. In verse 13 and 14, he says, if you ask anything in my name, he repeats that twice, I will do it. What does he mean by in his name? Well, I had, a, I had a student ask me at one point, he's like, so like the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's a thing? I was like, yes. How do we like pray? Like, that's weird. Um, like, are we, do we pray like to the Spirit or like what, you know, it's a little confusing. I'll be honest, it's a little confusing. The Trinity is a mystery. But here's what I would say just to simplify it a little bit. You pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can talk about that more if you don't understand that. But you pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is, again, if, we, if, if it's true that he's the only way that we have access to God, he's the great high priest in Hebrews, he's the only way that we have access to him, it's only in his name and by his power that we can even have dialogue with the God of the universe. So when he says in his name, as we pray in Jesus' name, there's a unity of aim. There's a unity of motive, of mind, a unity of will to what God is doing, right? Asking in faith, not like the tossing of the wind, but grounded on the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He knows best, and he will lead. 
Jesus answers, or sorry, well, Jesus, whatever. God answers every prayer. It may be a no. It may be a not right now. It may be a yes. He answers every prayer. He may not grant every prayer the way that we think it will be. 1 John 5 kind of gives us a little bit of an insight into this. It says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to, uh, according to his name, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So in his name, but the catch is, in accordance with his will. In accordance with his will. So we align with him in prayer. We ask and pray for big things and bold things to God. So yes, what Jesus is saying here, as he's saying there's greater works that we will do, more conversions, the gospel will continue to go forth to unreached people, because Jesus is going to the Father, we continue on this journey by faith-filled prayer, asking God to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So Saul Company, pray Luke 10-2, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, so pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up more laborers. Continue to pray for salvation of people, that more and more people would come to a saving faith in Jesus that we would be a people who work hardest on our hands and knees, pleading with God to do more than we can ask. Pleading with God on hands and knees to do more than we can imagine. Because again, Jesus, as the way, the truth, and the life, is the only way that we have had access to God for those who are in Christ. And Jesus, being the way, the truth, and the life, is the only way that any of your friends and family and coworkers who do not yet know Jesus we'll get access to God. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Heaven is heaven because he's there. He's the way to get there. He's the guide to get us there. And we rely on him to lead us in the remainder of the journey, praying in his name, asking that his kingdom come, his will be done at Mizzou, in Columbia, in the U.S., and on earth as it is in heaven. In this journey of life, there's only one way to truth, one way to life, one way to joy, to lasting peace, and true purpose. And Saul Company, it is always and forever through the life and work of Jesus alone. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for providing a path, for living the life that we could not live, dying the death that we deserved. Jesus, you made a way for us to be with you, to fellowship with you. You became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Would we continue to grow in knowledge of the truth every day, leading not to just Obedience for the sake of obedience, but leading to obedience that's, that's worship, that's joy because of who you are and what you've done in our lives. Father God, would you instill just a passion in these students to see those who do not yet know you as the way, the truth, and the life, who are trying to find life in other ways, trying to find truth in other areas. Would you move us, break our heart for what breaks yours, to see more people in Columbia, Come to saving faith in you. Jesus, it's only in your heavenly name that we get to pray.
Amen.